0: Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, along with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Hi there. It is so wonderful to see you again. I'm excited to be
1: back, and I'm excited for our talk today. I think I'm going to learn a lot, actually. Me too. Me too.
0: I will tell you, I just did one of the deepest dives I've done as a journalist to attempt to understand Lyme disease and the connection between psychological suffering and Lyme disease. And I'm a little uh, angered at Mm. the medical community's response to it. I'm really angered about society's response to the millions of people who are suffering from it. And I know that we won't have enough time to do it all today, but we will definitely come back for another time. I do want to say we're going to focus on the connection between Lyme disease and the very, very high suicide Suicide rate and the link to depression among people who suffer from Lyme. We have three guests today, and every one of them could take up the entire hour, but here we go. As a neurological Lyme disease survivor, Elizabeth Arrow's journey of misdiagnosis, pain, and suffering became public when she testified before the Oregon legislature in 2015. She was attempting to direct the Oregon Medical Board to adopt new rules regarding diagnosis and treatment of Lyme. In spite of her near-death illness, Elizabeth is, and you can see it in person, <laughs> intrepid, a creative force of nature. She's a master gardener of her mind and body and soul. Thank you so much for coming in today, Elizabeth. Thank you, Sheila, for having me. And on the line, Dr. Neil Spector, who holds an endowed position as the Sandra Coates Professor of Medicine as an Associate Professor of Cancer Biology and Pharmacology. As a Komen Research Scholar, a group re- representing the top breast cancer researchers around the world, Dr. Spector has also detailed his session. 17-year journey with Lyme, the life-threatening cardio complications that ensued, leading to a heart transplant in 2009. Dr. Specter, thanks for being with us today.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Sheila great to be here. And
0: Dana Parrish is also with us. She's a chart-topping Sony ATV singer-songwriter who has collaborated with superstars from Celine Dion to Michael Jackson. She's also a science journalist who writes a popular Huffington Post column on tick-borne diseases, and this has led her to co-authoring a book with renowned Yale-trained zoonotic disease specialist Dr. Stephen Phillips, which is set for release in tw- 2020. Wow, congratulations. I feel like any one of you could have your own program. <laughs> no nope. Take- go over the mic and just do my job. <laughs> Thank you, first of all. Thank you. I want you uh, b- all briefly, and I know you've probably been asked to do this before, to kind of synthesize your journey with Lyme disease. And I'm going to start with Elizabeth here in studio. I
3: pose the question to everyone that asks me, um, what is it like to have Lyme disease? And my answer is, how would you like to use, lose an entire decade of your life? Mm. And that really puts it into context. Um, And so, you know, when you talk about the topic of mental health and Lyme, and you talk about the connection between suicide and Lyme, suicide is the number one cause of death um, because of Lyme-related, either because of injury to your body and brain or because you just can't live with the disease any longer.
0: You were diagnosed at the age of 49, and you were, it sounds like, a very, very active person before that.
3: Well, actually, I was misdiagnosed for four years, Ah. and I developed the disease at 49, and I was mountain climbing and uh, rowing in a women's eight and doing tries and very, very fit, and um, I became just mysteriously ill, and I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. It took four years to finally figure it out, and it was a neurologist who figured it out,
0: thinking that I had multiple sclerosis. Wow. Uh, Dr. Specter, could you talk about what happened with your disease?
2: Sure, yeah, I I also, I mean, like Elizabeth, I went from running Boston marathons. I was a a little little younger, I was in my mid-30s when I got sick, but I went from being uh, really the paragon of health, uh, running 10 miles a day, six days a week, uh, to over a very short period of time, uh, barely being able to walk ten yards without just being completely fatigued, having brain fog I, you know it's I tell people it's like taking fifty milligrams of benadryl every two hours. I gave a lecture once on an hour on our research walked out somebody said that was really fascinating work, and I had no recollection of what I had just spent an hour talking about so um, and then developed uh, for five years, I was misdiagnosed I had lots of cardiac uh, palpitations manifestations that turned out to be um, unbeknownst to my doctors because they were transient, something called ventricular tachycardia which is a potentially fatal arrhythmia, one of the most common causes of sudden death in people outside of a hospital setting and every time I went to an emergency room or saw my doctors and again, you know, I was a scientist, I published in top tier science journals I've, I've been in uh, I was a clinician seeing cancer patients, um, but I was told that I was stressed and it was all in my head, and you know, um, so that I needed biofeedback and needed to meditate. I did all those wonderful things, which I still do, but uh, it wasn't until it became blatantly obvious, and um, I really fought to have a diagnosis made uh, and had repeat testing, and um, just didn't, you know, settle for a diagnosis stress that, uh, after five years, finally was diagnosed.
0: Dr. Spector, that must have given you the most incredible insight to what it's like for the rest of these Lyme sufferers who are going from doctor to doctor and being told that it's all in their head. When you speak to the medical community about it, how do you begin to describe what it's like to be told that you're crazy?
2: Uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it, you know, it's it's frustrating. It's... Um you know, I tell, listen, I tell the medical community that, you know, we're, we're rapidly moving to an era of testing and very little interaction with, the, with patients. Um, so I tell people all the time, and I used to tell my patients that uh, you know yourself better than anyone. Um, you know, you've got to find doctors who listen to you. And I tell doctors that you've got to listen to patients. I mean, tests are fine to confirm things. Tests are, especially in this disease, are horrendous. So you've got to rely on your clinical skills. I, you know, I realized just how bad medicine has become uh, with physicians not utilizing the skills that they were trained to to perform. I mean, clinical acumen, listening to patients and taking thorough histories and, you know, that's really gone by the wayside. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was very frustrating for me because I was a medical insider and I was just being completely dismissed.
0: I want to bring in Dana Parrish. Go ahead, Dana, if you would just describe what your journey has been like with Lyme as well.
4: Uh, Sure. So mine is kind of uh, probably two parts, but the the most recent part was in 2014. I was at a wedding. I live in New York City. Um, Not a very high rate of Lyme here, although it's been found in all of our um, parks, but you don't have such a high rate of exposure here on the concrete. I was at a wedding on Long Beach Island, New Jersey. I didn't do anything special. I was... uh, went from the house to the wedding at the house. Then I spent an hour on the beach and I came home with a deer tick embedded on my shoulder. It looked like the size of a pin, of a pinpoint probably, um, it was so small. I came back to New York with a crushing head and neck ache, uh, summer flu, you know, quote summer flu, I put it in quotes because I don't think there is usually a summer flu. I think it's usually Lyme when people think that they have the flu over the summer, um, My initial flu-like symptoms resolved um, in about three days. Uh, However, I got out of the shower on day four. It was a Saturday, and I saw the bite uh, mark and a very faint rash around it. I can't call it a bullseye because it was not really a bullseye, and that's one piece of information that I want to bestow is that most of the time when people get a Lyme rash, It doesn't look like a typical bullseye that you may see on the CDC website. So I knew that it was Lyme. I went to the uh, walk-in emergency place. They said it was Lyme. They gave me three weeks of doxycycling, told me I'd be fine and not to worry, and also not to Google it. So that was a really strange thing to say. Um, They told me that uh, I would, you know, don't worry, you won't be one of those. I think I was, I had a really deep sense that this was worse than just, Um, a a simple infection that would clear up with three weeks of antibiotics. I didn't know anybody at that time that had chronic Lyme, but I just had a bad sense. So I kept pushing them, you know, whether that was enough. I I just felt nervous, and they said, you're not going to be one of those crazy Lyme people. Don't worry about it. And I remember thinking, what's a crazy Lyme person? I've never even heard of such a thing. So I went about my life. I took the Doxy, and I was on the heels of signing a new uh, publishing deal with Sony. And what was expected of me was to travel and to write with um, people that make records to go on the radio in the pop world. It's a very niche little world. You have to be able to travel back and forth to L.A. and go to London and do all kinds of things. And um, I signed my deal um, right in the midst of, after taking these three weeks of antibiotics, I just completely went down. Um, It started with a swollen breast. Uh, you could see it. My doctor thought I might have breast cancer. I had to go to an oncologist. I had severe onset of um, overnight neuropsych symptoms, which included insomnia, uh, OCD, severe depression, severe anxiety. I couldn't be left alone. Um, I had to wear sunglasses 24 hours a day because I couldn't be exposed to light. I had pain all over. I had what one would diagnose as fibromyalgia. I had MS-like symptoms. I You know, it was just complete system, multi-systemic failure. And I went to at least 11 doctors, you know, quote, top doctors in New York City at all the major hospitals from oncology to internal medicine to to three infectious disease doctors. And I continued to tell them this all happened only after a tick bite. I'm very happy. I'm at the prime of my life and I'm at the prime of my career, and there's nothing psychiatric about this. This is completely organic, and nobody nobody would consider that. Um, it was just mind-blowing to me. It was so illogical, and I did ask one ID doctor, you know, why, on what basis are you saying this couldn't still be related to Lyme? And he said, because I went to medical school, and then he told me, the other reason was because Lyme is killed 100% of the time in the test tube with doxycycline, which is the antibiotic that I had been given, but that's actually not even correct. So, you know, you learn these lessons the hard way. um, And it took me five months of deteriorating until I ended up in heart failure um, right around Christmas week and uh, until I got to a Lyme doctor. I kept also asking other doctors if there was, Lyme doctors and specialists, I had sort of heard that there were, and none of them would give me any names and told me that they were all quacks, and not to um, dare pursue that, and um, my Lyme doctor, you know, Stephen Phillips, I'm writing the book with, um, saved my life, and he, you know, without him, I don't know that we'd be having this conversation,
2: so
4: um, that's what I... (laughs) That's that's the truth of the matter. So I want, I want to very bring lucky. in
0: Dr. Jenna Lejeune because I think that what I'm hearing that's consistent with all three of their stories is this idea that they're very active, incredibly involved, optimistic people. They get this disease, and then they're told that the disease is in their head. They yeah. end up in an office like yours, Jenna, and attempting to try to have some sort of understanding— where do you begin? Right. Because you're undoing what the medical community has also done, right? Right.
1: Well, I mean, as a psychologist, I always bristle at the statement it's all in your head, as, as if. That is somehow different than the stuff that's going in your body below your shoulders. Right. Of course, it's all just occurring within you. Wow. Um, but whenever I have somebody that comes in and they're presenting with very acute symptoms that that they feel they that. Um, would be what we call ego dystonic. So that it's like, this is just not like me. I'm not usually this anxious. I'm not usually this depressed. Anytime there's a a really sudden change like that. Of course, the first thing that I do is I ask, when was the last time you got a physical and have them go to a medical doctor and try and get a workup. And I understand in these cases y'all had already done that ad ad nauseum. But then the other thing that I do is I, I, I definitely try and dispel this idea that there are, quote unquote, psychological or psychiatric problems. And then there are, quote unquote, medical problems. There are problems that affect the human body and human bodies respond to things, you know, and in symptoms like depression and anxiety and muscle tension, and flu symptoms, and neurological symptoms. So I don't think that distinction is very helpful because so often it is used to dismiss folks, I think, like yourselves, who uh, primarily medical doctors would say, oh, it's, it's just a psychological thing, yeah. so get over it.
3: This is the pejorative you know, yeah. aspect of um, right. of of relegating um, mental health um, to um, to something um, unpleasant. The fact of the matter is that Lyme infects your brain. Right. It then inflames it, exactly. and you end up right. you exactly. end up with encephalopathy of your right. brain. Right now, if that is not going to make you not be able to think clearly, <laughs> yeah. if that's not going to affect um, your nervous system, uh, and you know people don't even understand there's various pieces to your nervous system my manifestations were that I stopped breathing and I stopped walking Um, I did have some of the heart um, issues that both Neil and Dana had but my Lyme just seemed to like my brain and it seemed to like my spinal cord and it seemed to like to render me incapable of, uh, of walking, breathing swallowing, I had dysphagia uh, it also attacked my eyesight, so I was having I- I- extraordinary problems seeing, um, smell. Um, so you know, all your olfactory senses were ver- were. were Mine were very, very affected by this.
0: Dr. Spector, I want to just, because people might be joining this conversation at the beginning like I was, would you talk about what it is that the tick does to your body and how it's infected in that it actually does penetrate the heart, it does penetrate the brain?
2: Sure, well, I, I think one thing that we need to make clear too is that when, when you get bitten by a tick, it doesn't necessarily mean, and in fact, in, in a lot of cases, that you're just gonna get one disease. So. I often cringe a bit, (laughs) you know, I'm in oncology where we've gone from saying you've got cancer, which to me means nothing other than you've got an abnormal growth to now realizing there are probably a thousand or more Mm -hmm. different types of cancer based on the genomic and wiring of the tumor cells. And so people often um, say I've Lyme disease when in fact they may have Bartonella, Babesia, viruses, you know, now there's Powassan, which, you know, if you survive it, you've got severe neurologic problems. Mm. So we, we tend to try to simplify this as one bacteria, um, when in fact, this, you know, tends to be, you know, a multifactorial microbial invasion of the body. So, but just to just in the context of Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the the, the name of the bacteria that causes most of the Lyme disease, in the U.S., there are several types of different forms of Borrelia and strains, which, again, makes it more complicated. But this is a spirochete. It's like a little corkscrew, if you imagine it. Um, once, it once the tick bites you, the corkscrew uh, bacteria burrows in, gets into the bloodstream. And then it likes to find areas uh, in the body. It doesn't just sort of go randomly everywhere. It likes areas of the body that tend to be less oxygenated. Um, which are more difficult to eradicate from the standpoint of poor blood supply mm. and getting antibiotics and other therapeutics. They're just like cancer cells, love those sorts of low oxygenated areas. Um, it loves to accumulate in areas where there's cartilage, which is uh, a normal part of our bodies. You know, you think of your knee joint or the cartilage around your ear. Um, the ear is a, a wonderful place that the bacteria that causes Lyme disease love to congregate. And then in the heart, it loves to um, invade the uh, areas that normally transmit the electrical signal that we all take for granted that regulates our heartbeat. Hmm. Um, and so that's why people get what's called heart blocks. It doesn't mean your blood vessels are blocked. It means that there's a, a, um, an abnormality in the electrical conduction system. Um, I happen that there's a first and second and third degree heart block with third degree being a life-threatening condition. I actually ended up with a third degree heart block um, and had to have a permanent pacemaker and a defibrillator placed because of the, the potentially fatal arrhythmias that I was having. Um, same in the brain. Invades uh, the brain, um, gets into areas that are, are difficult uh, to effectively treat. And then sets up shop, uh, again, very much like cancer cells. I've given talks making the analogy between the biology of Lyme disease and some of the other tick-borne illnesses and cancer, not that one necessarily causes the other, at least it hasn't been shown directly cause and effect. Um, but the fact that uh, the, these bacteria are very good and they've evolved over you know millions of years to evade the immune system. So you've got sort of this perfect storm where the bacteria rapidly get in you know within you know hours or even less of getting a tick bite it's no longer gee if you get the tick off in 72 hours you're okay that's not the case so it gets into the body and it disseminates rather quickly and gets into parts of the the body that are very difficult uh to treat wow Uh, but again i think i think we need to think of this as a a multi-microbial invasion Mm. um and when we start thinking of this not as, you know, one simplified bacteria, we can begin to understand the complexity and why many people just don't get better with one antibiotic or often even two antibiotics. Uh,
1: one of the th- things that I'm getting from what you're saying, Dr. Specter, though, is if it isn't... By the way,
2: you can, you can call me Neil if you Oh, always, that's so nice. Great. <laughs> you. Yeah. That's great. Um,
1: if... If it isn't this simple Lyme disease, just like if it's not just simply cancer, that makes things much more difficult for both the medical community who, of course, you know, as human beings who want to help other people and cure other people, of course, that They want a simple answer and a simple solution to that. And of course, patients want, oh, it's this one thing and there's something to cure it. So you can sort of see why it would make sense that there is a reticence, both among the medical community and kind of us lay people, to be able to see this as something much more complex than it is. And maybe that is also contributing to why it seems like the science and the knowledge is lagging behind maybe some other diseases that we have.
0: Yeah, there's always so many other reasons behind why science is lagging behind, too, when it comes to learning about these patents and how how much big money there is behind kind of keeping down, people learning more about it. It's really very, very controversial. I want to just talk about numbers, Dr. Spector, and I'll say Neil from now on, thanks. Um, yes, uh, thank you. Yeah, the CDC now is admitting to about 400,000 new cases. What, in your mind, I'd like to ask each of you, do you really think is the number of people impacted by Lyme disease?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. That those are That's an estimate based on who um, is likely to conform to the strictest guidelines based on an outdated Western blot test um, which, you know, in an era of in 2019 of genomic medicine that we still rely on a test that's sort of 1960 ish is, is pretty pathetic. That is, is less than the flip of a coin as to, you know, how reliable the test is. So I, you know, I think when you start to, to put the numbers and you say maybe 400,000 the CDC is admitting to, you know, you could be talking upwards of seven, 800,000. Uh, and when you consider that, um, in data published from Johns Hopkins, which is an institution that notoriously had denied the existence of chronic uh, infection, that, you know, 36% of people have persistent problems, then you start to add up, you know, even if you said it's 400,000, and you said 30, 30% of people have persistent right, problems. do the extrapolation. You wow. know, that, that adds up. I just, can I make one quick point about the money? Yes, the please, research? yes. It's not necessarily, you know, you could say the patents the, the NIH isn't funding it. And the reason why the government, who are the biggest funders of biomedical research in this country, um, are not funding it is because they're hearing a message from the what we call the key opinion leaders in the field, which are academic, quote, Lyme expert, unquote, saying there's no need to fund this because there's no problem here. So, you know, that's the re- that's the major reason why there's no research. I You know, we could talk about the pharma and whatever, but the message is, you know, there's a, there's a problem with breast cancer, there's a problem with Alzheimer's, there's a problem with pancreatic cancer, there's a problem with obesity, there's no problem. Wow. It's an easy to diagnose, an easy to cure with three weeks of doxycycline. So why would the NIH appropriate money to a disease that they're being told there's no issue? So that in my mind is the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle is to um, convince those people who hold the purse strings that number one, they're listening to the wrong people And number two, there's a tsunami of problem out here.
0: I want to bring Dana in. Dana, you mentioned that you kept pushing. You're you're supposed to be starting this big, very exciting job at a really nice time in your life. And the illness on top of the misdiagnosis, on top of the worsening physical conditions. Describe to uh, us what it was like to be in this war, not just with... (laughs) The doctors you're attempting to get help you, but with your body.
4: It's absolutely devastating and crushing to have no idea how and if you are going to wake up the next day. You don't know what the next day will look like because one of the hallmarks of Lyme is roving, migrating symptoms. So one day, I don't, I suddenly don't feel like I can breathe. And the next day, my vision is blurry. And the next day, I'm having heart palpitations, and I'm sweating, and I have such bad anxiety that I can't walk my dog to the corner by myself. So I can't – it is so devastating. It is so shocking. And I have been an artist and a songwriter and a singer since – I was born, really. I I was born being somebody who is very interested in other people. I naturally always had a lot of curiosity and a lot of compassion for people. I can tell you that nothing has brought me closer to the earth than being shattered by Lyme and Bartonella. And I want to make one more point that I think is to just add on to Neil's um, very important one is that there's this whole idea that Lyme is just Lyme, you know, as he said, and it's joint pain. People misunderstand it. No, Lyme causes arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, MS, uh, Alzheimer's in some cases. There are so Many there's now not in all cases for any of these diseases. But I want to say when I say it causes it, it can cause it. It has historically caused it. There are studies upon studies that show, you know, for over a hundred years, there are studies that show. In uh, if you go to PubMed and look at um, spirochetal infections in the brain, autopsy of MS patients, they found evidence of Lyme. Um, if you look at the research on rheumatoid arthritis, there are 11 studies showing that it is antibiotic responsive when it is not responsive to extremely powerful immunosuppressants and methotrexate. So when people talk about mimicking, it's really the wrong word. It's a cause. So I think anybody with a strange autoimmune disease or any autoimmune disease should be looking for the cause and not just be suppressing their immune system without first looking for an occult infection. Yeah, I Um, I was
3: the the poster child for autoimmunity. Um, One of the complex natures of trying to figure out my illness is that I kept developing multiple autoimmune diseases. Wow. And you would go to the doctor and say, why am I developing this? There's no one in my family and four generations on either side that have ever had an autoimmune disease. Why do I have an autoimmune disease of the eye? Why do I have an autoimmune disease of the skin? Why do I have an autoimmune disease of my thyroid? Why do I have an autoimmune disease of my salivary glands? What the hell is happening? Wow. Uh, and so they could find the diseases, but they couldn't find the cause.
1: I think... I think I have to I want to jump in here um, just because this the discussion about causation as as a scientist kind of I feel like I want to speak to that. I think part of the problem is that we haven't, at least to my understanding, and I am certainly no expert on this, but I I think part of the problem is we haven't done the scientific studies to actually be able to say that Lyme causes these things. We know that people who have Lyme disease and or, or. have this, and then have had their brains autopsied. All these things go together. Lyme and MS go together. Lyme and autoimmune go together. But the problem is in order scientifically to be able to say that an infection with this bacteria causes Alzheimer's or causes MS. You have to do a particular kind of experiment. And if the NIH or other funding agencies are not funding research online, we can't actually do that kind of research. So I guess I just want to say from a, a science standpoint, I might be cautious about saying that Lyme causes these things versus there is a high correlation. Well, I can
4: tell you that there are studies out there. There are definitely there's definitely data out there that link these infections to all of the conditions that I listed. Oh, they're and, certainly
1: linked. Absolutely, and- absolutely. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think that we probably need to have the funding to be able to do the particular kinds of research you need to be able to say this causes that thing. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I just keep thinking like if you had some of these symptoms, if you lived in an area which is now everywhere that happens to have these ticks, why wouldn't you do this treatment I mean, it's not that expensive to do antibiotic treatment. Why aren't doctors at the very least, when, when someone's presenting with this mysterious autoimmune, right. what appears to be autoimmune, why don't they do that? It just seems so simple. Because they're not taught. Right.
4: There's no money in cures. Wow. So, you know, we've done a deep dive for our book into all of this. And I can tell you, there is a very big financial opportunity for people. Um, at a very high level to not cure diseases like these. There is a global pandemic of autoimmunity and it's said that it's 25 to 50 million people in the US alone with an autoimmune disease. The market for immunosuppression is in the hundreds of billions. So I don't think it's um, as simple as doctors not wanting to. I think they don't, they genuinely don't know. They genuinely are not taught. Uh, I can't find any doctor who's told me otherwise. And I think it's pretty alarming and um, it's causing great harm to the I think,
3: world. I think, Neil can, I think Neil can pipe in on this. I mean, if you look at AIDS, HIV AIDS, yeah. if you look at cancer, and then if you look at Lyme and you look at each of them affecting one aspect, one particular cell, T cells, B cells, C cells, um, I think people that are at the research um that are doing research in Lyme are understanding the relation to the immune system mm-hmm. and the relation to the activation of particular cells in the body.
0: Yeah, you know, I want to get back to this idea that we're seeing marked increases in anxiety and depression in young people, suicide rate now, you know, up 30%. And if if someone was, was saying to me, I got bit by this tick, and now I'm having these really weird psycho... Uh, Um, or, or really strange things happening in my brain and my body, I would think that any doctor would say, hold on, just a moment. Here's this very easy thing that we can do. But part of the problem, Sheila, is in our
1: in our culture. If you have things that look like they could be a quote unquote psychological symptom or psychiatric symptom, right? The, it, it sort of gets relegated to oh, that's something different. That's what I was sort of saying at the beginning. About exactly. Your head
0: off the body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's like oh, that's that's above the shoulders. I don't deal with that. Go to a therapist to deal with that versus treating it as a whole body.
4: Because the thing I'm getting people to... people never see the bite. It's important to know that yeah. only 25% of people statistically see a bite or get a rash. So Is that most right? people don't even know they've been bitten.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. wondering about that too, wow. because certainly I know that people are saying it's it's like the size of a, a pinhead, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm not inspecting my body that closely after I go out hiking or walking to, you know, the wedding reception on the beach.
0: You should be now
1: because it's in almost every state,
3: correct? I had the classic bullseye rash and just like Dana, I went to an urgent treatment center and they diagnosed me with a spider bite. They gave me Mm -hmm. a week of Bactrim and some Benadryl and sent me on my way. And within months, all the wheels were just, you know, falling off. Wow. Um, And... The other thing is, you know, my case was a perfect storm case. I was treating a uh, family member dying of cancer, so I was right. under a great degree of yeah. depression, sadness. Um, my marriage was crumbling. Uh, I was obviously seeing a therapist to try to help. Put that piece of my life together, right? And I can't tell you the number of doctors that I would go to when I had these real physiological, neurological symptoms, and say, "No, no, you don't understand. I'm a very bright woman. I climb mountains. I yeah. worked on Wall Street. No, no, no.
0: There's something wrong." Wow. I mean, I'm just struck by how um, capable all of you are, and how verbal and how much of an advocate you would have been for yourselves and I'm thinking about the millions of other Americans who when they go into a doctor's office become minimized and they say it must be in my head and I can't fix it and so I do understand the suicide rate, because if you don't have something to look forward to, if you don't have hope of feeling better the next day, and you're deteriorating like you were deteriorating, I can completely understand the thought of suicide. I mean, there's so many
3: good articles that have been written. Uh, Pamela Weintraub, who wrote the wonderful book on Cure Unknown, has a, a three parts. Um, um, piece in Psychology Today that she wrote on Neurological Lyme. Amy Tan has written so movingly about her neurological symptoms of Lyme in People magazine. All of these things are available to be found and all of these bright, all of these highly capable, um, brilliant people um, to succumb to this disease and then have their family members, their doctors, their peers, in Neil's case, in in my case, my Lyme doctor uh, had Lyme. And he went through the same thing that Neil went wow. through, which is, oh, you're under stress, you're working too hard. No, there's something wrong with me.
0: So I want to take the time, because each of you have recovered at least to the point where you can be here with us today, and you obviously use some strategies and some treatment that work for you. So in the similar vein that we started with the, a brief synopsis of your story, tell me what work, what's working, and how are you now? Go ahead, Elizabeth. Well, I'm hoping to be where
3: Neil and Dana are now, which is in complete remission and in recovery. Um, I am still struggling. In fact, yesterday I spent all day in bed. Mm -hmm. Um, This morning, normally my routine is if I'm having a bad Lyme day, I just rest. And then I get up when I have to do something and do it. but uh, I'm nowhere near where Dana and Neil are. I'm not fully functioning, and I'm still fighting very much for my life.
0: Uh, Do you believe it's because the course of antibiotics that you did was too late, that it had already embedded so deeply in your body that it's irreversible? Well, we'll never sh- know for sure,
3: but there is permanent damage as a result of Lyme, and Got we it. do know that. Yeah. Um, I was misdiagnosed for four years. I went untreated for five. Yeah. By that time, um, there was a lot of damage inside my body. Um, so my manifestations of the disease now are chronic fatigue um, and all those sort of fibromyalgia, MS-like uh, symptoms. Um, if you look at my hand, for instance, you can see this one works, and you can see I can't bend my uh, left thumb, but I can bend my right thumb. Wow! Yeah. Um, this this is it's like having a phantom inside your body. Oh. And as Dana said, um, every day is a new beginning, and yeah. it's like, okay, you know, which which crazy figure is going to come out today to haunt me?
0: How do you how do you cope with that? I mean, how do you stay positive and make sure that you don't become one of these horrible statistics? Because if you,
3: the reason why Dana and Neil and I are all here together is because your intellect, to a certain degree, really saves you from this disease. Um, and if you're someone who has at least spent some time in your life kind of mining your deep core, your deep spiritual center of who you are, and you know who you are, um, and that's inviolable, that really, really saves you. For people that just blithely grow through life without ever having to really go into those dark corners of life... Those tend to be the stories where they, ha- they are in great despair and can't make it through. Wow. All
4: right, Dana, you're up. Uh, so what helped me was um, antibiotics and some Chinese herbs. Um, I did, you know, the way my doctor um, conducts treatment generally is through pulsing. So you go on for a couple of weeks and you go off Um Good reasons why he does it that way, um, and I also did an herbal, a Chinese protocol called um, the Zhang protocol. So I did both um, Eastern and Western medicine. I think it's it was very important for me um, to do both. I I just I don't know that I would have gotten better without it. So I would say that I was significantly better within six months, and I was probably what I would consider into some sort of remission in about a year. Um, Mm. And I've stayed well for over four years. And I still take antibiotics when I feel symptomatic. So I don't want to misrepresent where I am. I want people to know that Lyme is chronic. Lyme can be chronic. Bartonella can be chronic. And if the symptoms start coming back, um, you should, that are retreating, and you should consider that it could be the same beast coming back, and not let it get too far. I've seen a lot of people who have ignored symptoms coming back and have fully relapsed. Um, wow. But I try to. I usually don't have to treat more than three times a year, and I usually treat for about two weeks, um, and that's been the way it's been for the last four years.
1: I have a question for, for both Dana and Elizabeth. You you mentioned kind of when the symptoms are really bad. Uh, I think you used the word retreat. And I think, Elizabeth, you were talking about kind of, you know, you're staying in bed or whatever. And, of course, that makes all the sense in the world. And at the same time, we know that the thing that makes depression Worse, and the thing that increases our risk of suicidality is to not be engaged with your life and engaged with meaningful things. And so I wonder how the two of you or the three of you, uh, Neil, if you're included in this camp, how the three of you balance sort of what it feels like your body needs, which is I just need to be by myself and kind of retreat from the world versus what you as a human being need, which is to be connected with other people and out and about in the world.
4: How do you who, how who do you wants balance to go that? First?
3: <laughs> well, I you know I, I have to give it up to the Lyme support groups. I mean, this is what's so vital about this disease. When you after hearing how much denial yeah. and rejection mm, yeah. um, there is to this disease, I, I could not find for you a more compassionate, smart. <laughs> Um, invested group of people than the people that are on the support groups for, for Lyme. So, yeah. you know, give it up to social media, quite yeah, frankly. Right. Yeah. And, and to the person who told Dana, don't Google your disease. Frankly, if I didn't go on Google and put all of my symptoms into a search yep. engine, I never, ever would have found out what I have wow. and even though, me neither. though even though those th- those uh, search engines led me to an entirely different disease it was that multisystemic autoimmune disease that helped that doctor in that field the best in his in the, in the nation figure out that it wasn't that but it was definitely something that looked. And walk like a duck, quack like a duck, but wasn't the duck?
0: Well, one of you um, describe for me, and, and probably this is a good time to bring Neil in. Neil, um, what is the test that actually confirms it, and why do so many people get tested, and they and it doesn't show up, and then maybe later it does? What's going on there? Ah, uh, the two tier, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, so the, the standard, the the standard based on uh, you know the CDC and 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 probably the you know the one that's been around the longest it's called the two-tier it's an antibody test so it essentially measures the it doesn't measure the bacteria directly it measures the response of a person's immune system to uh, recognize the presence of the bacteria oh. and generate antibodies so you're indirectly measuring the infection um and there's there's uh there's two types of antibody responses there's an acute response so when you first get sick it's, it's called, uh, what well, the antibody you make is there's different types of immunoglobulins. It's called IgM. IgM and IgG. Um, mm. Yeah, so, yeah, immunoglobulins, IgM, and um, that usually comes up very early, and then there's uh, a more what they call a convalescent later um, in the phase of the disease, and, and after recovery even, it's sort of a footprint of having had the disease, it's called IgG, hmm. and so... There's different, um, so the the Center for Disease Control and the Infectious Disease Society of America have established criteria for what they consider to be a positive test result. It's rather, it's it's very arbitrary. You know, if you try to figure out how they derived, you know, two bands, the bands are essentially two, um, uh, the antibody recognizes two proteins in somebody's blood. So what they do, they take your blood, right? They, um, your blood presumably what they're assuming is has antibodies because you've been exposed to the Lyme disease bacteria. And then they have a bacteria strain that they've been growing in a laboratory since 1982. Hmm. So it's one strain of a bacteria that's laboratory grown. We know laboratory grown strains are very different from what happens in nature. Um, and they take your blood and they um, run it against this laboratory strain, the proteins in the laboratory strain. So they grind up the bugs, this laboratory strain, is called B31, and then they run a gel with your uh, blood, and it, it the, if you've got the antibodies, so in, under the ideal circumstances, if you have antibodies, IgM, you'll have a number of antibodies that recognize different proteins in their laboratory strain. Um, and that would be indicative of an acute infection, according mm. to the criteria. If you've um, then gone beyond the acute phase, let's say several weeks to months, you'll develop IgG and they do the same thing. They take your blood and they'll run it against the same strain and look for IgG. So and let, let's just talk is, about,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, the problem is, is that number one, as we've mentioned, that this isn't just one strain and it's certainly not a laboratory strain. This yeah. Like out in nature. And not one disease. Where there's, yeah, where the bacteria evolves, gets rid of some proteins, gains others. Um, and so, and, and not everyone, you know, people are immunosuppressed. When you're immunosuppressed, you don't make antibodies. Oh, wow. And we know from the, the animal data, um, which people tend to poo-poo, at least the people who don't like to believe that there's a problem with the testing, the animal data indicates that this bacteria can wipe out your ability in the mice to make normal antibodies. Wow. Um, and so so it's, it's sort of this very um, strange narrative that we've set up, or, or that some people have set up this criteria based on this idyllic world where every single person is robotic, fits into a nice box and responds the same, um, when in fact we know that's not the case. There are different species of the bacteria. There are different strains. People are immunosuppressed. People have different, um, you know, some of the other infections people get. Bartonella is known to immunosuppress. Wow. So that infection, along with Borrelia, is going to um, impair your ability to mount a normal immune response. So- I hit the
3: trifecta. I got yeah. Lyme, Bartonella, yeah, and Babesia. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
2: exactly. So it's a perfect storm for a, for a lousy test. As I said, I've done thousands of Western blots in, in my research over the years, not, not using a Lyme bacteria. I can tell you that is it is an imperfect test under the even under the ideal circumstances. So I cringe when I think that in twenty nineteen we're denying people care based on the fact that they may lack one band on a Western blot.
0: Can I, can I just ask looter. you guys, because I, I imagine there's a lot of people here, psycholo- we have a lot of psychologists who listen and psychiatrists, and, and there are also, I'm sure, a lot of people who've been like, whoa, what they're describing is kind of what I've gone through. What advice would you have for somebody who says, wow, this sounds like all of the strange things I've been dealing with, and I haven't been able to find out what was wrong? Elizabeth?
3: If anybody presents with the symptoms that Dana Neal and I have given to you, and, and they may seem overwhelming in terms of um, how many there are, uh, you must think about Lyme in, in terms of your um, diagnostic, you know, your criteria. Um, if it, if it, if um, if you've got a summer flu, if you've got aches and pains, if you're having trouble. Uh, sleeping, if you're having trouble breathing, if you're having trouble swallowing, if your heart is um, beating abnormally, um, if your brain just feels completely disconnected from your body, hmm. if you're sweating profusely, um, all of these are indications that you um, have one or more tick-borne diseases. The
0: difficulty is, and I'm trying to get to this, is that it sounds like a, a person could go, especially here in Oregon where the cure isn't elevated, and find themselves in that you know uh, spiral of not being believed. So where is the best care? How do you find doctors that are actually treating in these advanced ways? I ended up having to go to the
3: East Coast. I ended up having to go 3,000 miles away from Oregon because there are, first of all, there are no Lyme literate doctors practicing in the state of Oregon, and if there are, you can count them on less than one hand. Uh, There are some naturopathic doctors that um, treat here and are very knowledgeable and and capable.
0: And uh, Neil or Dana, do you have a different um, suggestion for those people listening?
2: No. I think that you've got to, number one, you've got to advocate and listen to your body, advocate for yourself. I've told people that I don't care whether your doctor graduated from Stanford, Harvard, wherever, um, you know yourself better than anyone. You know, we have a society that tends to, maybe less so now, but tends to put physicians on a pedestal. I mean, physicians are not omnipotent, all-knowing people. Um, Some of the physicians I respect the most are the ones that might have said to Elizabeth, you know what, Um, I'm not sure what you have but I know you've got something and we need to get to the bottom of it. Right. You know, there are websites that you could go to ILADS, which is the uh, organization where most of the Lyme trained physicians uh, are members, and you could go to ilads.org and put in your zip code and maybe there's a a Lyme disease literate doctor or not. It's still a crapshoot though, because some people take a six week course and hang a shingle out and say I'm a Lyme disease doctor. There's Mm -hmm. too many nuances. What I would say is what Elizabeth said. You have to go to where the people have seen, you know, 10,000, 20,000, you know, we can mention names, you know, Steve Phillips, who Dana went to, who I regard incredibly highly. There are other people on the East coast, but most of them are going to be East coast doctors because that's where the disease
0: started. Is. That's yeah. where they've
2: got the most experience. But, but do not let a doctor tell you what, what is going on inside your body. they. I don't know you. I also so want to... Comm- for yourself. Yeah, I, want to co-
3: stop. I want to commend Jenna's area of medicine, because in many instances, it is psychologists and psychiatrists that actually determine that the patient has Lyme. Wow. Um, in the case of Allie Hilfiger, who's written beautifully about this in her memoir, um, it was the psychiatrist that actually figured out that she had Lyme. In my case, I was going to a psychologist for marital therapy. And when I showed her all of the photographs of what was happening to my body and said, no, I'm not just depressed because of this. (laughs) She said, holy, you know what? Uh, I've got to get you to a doctor who deals with the brain, diseases of the brain. And when I went to that doctor, I was so fortunate. She had a daughter at MIT who was like me, started really just falling to pieces. And had she not had to figure out what was wrong with her own daughter, I don't think she would have had the compassion or the endurance to... Um, to stay with me until we figured out what was wrong with me. In her case, her daughter had mold disease. In my case I had Lyme. Well,
1: I, I really appreciate you saying that. It's always nice to hear when people have had positive experiences yeah, exactly. with psychologists yeah. and therapy. And I think this is maybe related to something you said, Neil, at the very beginning. You know, one of the benefits I have is that I get to do a very deep dive with the people who come into my office. So I get to sit with them for one hour and get the whole story. And unfortunately, the way that... Complementary or Western medicine is set up in this country is that most physicians do not simply do not have the ability to do that, mm. and so I'm always very careful that this is not vilifying uh, physicians in any way. It's the system that is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm. So maybe. But, but it, actually,
4: even if they had more time, they don't have the training. They absolutely. Don't know the yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. really actually. My, and the experience of me and the thousands of patients that I hear from all over the world but every day.
1: Even, but even as Neil said, even if they could take that long history and then be able to say, oh, I don't know. Like, that's the important thing, right. is for them to say, I don't know, but let me point you to somebody who might know yeah. versus, oh, I know better than you because I have to come up with an answer in 15 minutes or less and write you a script
0: for something. Yeah, Dana, do you have any thoughts on this? I have many thoughts on that. Uh, I no, no, it's, no, it's, no, no, I
4: agree no. with you. No,
0: <laughs> what I want you to address was if you had people that are listening and they were like, I have the same symptoms that have been described, what do I do? What's my course of action? I, I was wondering if you had a different answer.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would. I would first of all understand that uh, mainstream doctors aren't taught about Lyme. They're not taught about this. So I would be looking to if you've ruled out everything else, you've ruled out cancers, and you've ruled out other serious diseases, diabetes, um, and you know that you don't have those things to the best of your ability, I would be contacting an ILADS doctor, as Neil mentioned, I-L-A-D-S dot org, um, because they can give you referrals close to your home, um, even if you don't live in a state, like Elizabeth doesn't live in a state where she said there are a lot of Lyme doctors, they would tell you where it did, where they were closest to you. And I would absolutely also advise that before you agree to be immunosuppressed, you rule out infection.
0: Oh, great idea. Uh, I think yeah. it's
4: absolutely mm-hmm. criminal to be, put somebody on a lifelong immunosuppressant or psychiatric drug or steroids. without first mm. ruling out infection. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Can I can I just make add on to what Dana said because I think it is really important. When people call me and I'm not a Lyme doctor, but I would tell anybody the same advice is whatever you know we've said about the medical profession. If somebody comes in with a headache, I mean I'm not, and I don't think Dana or Elizabeth are either. I'm not somebody who every headache is Lyme disease or Bartonella, um, because people do have tumors and people do have berry aneurysms and people you know are at risk for subarachnoid bleeds. Get a thorough physical, make yep. sure what it's not. Yeah. And if somebody can't tell you what's yeah. going on, then you start to think, what is causing this mysterious illness? Yeah. Lyme yes. disease, like mm-hmm. it's relative syphilis, right? We know a lot about syphilis for centuries. Yeah. Syphilis was called the great masquerader because it affects every system. And If you look at the list of symptoms that syphilis can cause, it really overlaps almost with Lyme. Now Lyme disease is the great masquerader. So if your doctor, after running a battery of tests, says I can't figure this out it's all in your head and you know that there's something going on get don't stop don't stop Wow! I'd be dead if I stopped. No
0: kidding. I Meet think ya. all three of you would have been. I am so grateful to you for the conversation, and I have an idea that maybe we could like circle back and then go even deeper into the dive if you're all willing, because I really enjoyed the time with you today, Dana and Neil, and especially Elizabeth for for bringing us all of this information. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Over.
0: Thank you for being here. We're supported by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care. So if you enjoyed the show and you like our program, that's a good place to click on uh, this kind of research. And the work that we're doing here today is very much because of the support of the foundation. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Make it a great day.